We're going to go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 12, and I do believe that by faith we're even going to make it there. First Corinthians 12. Hallelujah. And this week we're going to talk about revival. You want to talk about revival? <laughs> if you yell like that when we're done. You want to talk about revival? Yeah, yeah. Praise God, Brother Roberson. If you can talk like that when we're done, we succeeded. Of course, you may just be sitting there looking at me, too. Because <laughs> you don't know yet. You hadn't heard what we're going to say. <laughs> so would you please extend your faith and agree with me? I feel the Holy Spirit slipping up on me. Glory to God. Things have been different. I feel Him slipping up on me. So enter into agreement. I feel the teacher. I feel the exhorter. I also feel the miracle worker. Glory. Somehow, he's going to get all three of them in here. Today. <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. So please, agree with me. Heavenly Father, once again, as we enter into your presence, we do it with boldness, full of your grace and full of your power. Is your blood bought righteous children in your presence, purchased unto right standing? And Father, we approach you with boldness. And we're thanking you that because of the person of the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to take creeds and doctrines originating with men, but again, we have pure, undefiled access to the very best that you have. And as your children, we refuse to settle for anything less than your best. And more than anything else, Father, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves, we prostrate ourselves in Your presence and ask You, Father, teach us by Your Holy Spirit. Teach us how to enter more boldly into Your presence. And as Your children, as ever time before, for all the miracles You're about to manifest, we thank You and praise You, but more than these, for the understanding of Your Word. Oh, Father, Your Word. For the understanding of Your Word, Father, that not only sets us free, but supplies all the power that we need to walk that way. As Your children, we give You praise and we give You honor and we give you glory. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you would have asked me three years ago, Brother Robertson, are you walking in peace? I would have said, Does a dog have fleas in Oklahoma? You know, 
Can a fish swim? What else would I say? I'm a faith man. So you walking in peace? I'd say most certainly. And that's because I didn't have now to compare than to. And my prayer is that two to three years from now, you can ask me, Brother Roberson, were you walking in peace three years ago, making reference to this time, that the change will be so profound that I'll not have then to compare now to. Because He's done something that has so changed my life that the only way I can put a label on what I have received, I guess I would have to say that I've entered into a peace that's so powerful that the only label I can put on it is aggressive. Aggressive. Aggressive peace. Now I thought I knew a whole lot about the love of God. And the reason I thought I knew a whole lot because in times, years past, when, when God called me to a miracle and a healing kind of ministry, two or three years in to this ministry, He called me to old Mexico and I seen such devastating things that I, I canceled my meetings and went into the mountains for some fasting and prayer. And when I came out of the mountains, He had told me, if you want the best that I have, Roberson... As a flesh and blood, air-breathing man on this side of glorification. He said, all you need to do is walk in the fullness of my love. And of course, I broke my fast and, uh, and started to pursue everything that I knew about love. I got everyone's tapes. I collected everything together. I studied John's writings, everything I could find on love because God told me up in the mountains while I was fasting that it was a major key to the appropriation of the very best that God has while a man is running around this side of glorification. Now before you get to thinking wrong, sure, Sure, the love of God is my responsibility as an elder and an example in the ministry. But before we're done this week, you ought to find out what the love of God can do for your business. Your business. <laughs> well, him telling me that several years ago launched me into a seeking time to where God had to bring me from a place where I was to an understanding of the limit that love went for me in the redemption when Jesus redeemed me. I had to first find out that nobody could love me like this Jesus. Nobody. He's the culmination of love. He's the fullness of it. He's the embodiment of the entire love that the whole Godhead possesses manifested for humanity. That's my Jesus. Well, I couldn't love much because I had no revelation. 
how in love with me that this Jesus Christ is. And it wasn't until He took me through the, the crucifixion and took me through His descent into hell and His resurrection to the right hand of the Father. I had no idea that Jesus in glorified form now at the right hand of the Father that when He was humanity no idea the things that He suffered. Now, I don't have much time to go into that phase of it, but I will say this, that the pictures that our artists have done of Jesus crucified is the best that they can do according to carnal knowledge. But if you dig the image that he became when he was crucified, they couldn't hang on a wall in your front room what he became when he became every damnable piece of broken humanity. You wouldn't be able to have a light breakfast with that picture on your wall. For it was no pretty sight. When every damnable piece of broken humanity that we was met up in the spirit and the body of the man Jesus when he cried in a loud voice, My God, you've forsaken me. And God forsook him and he became everything that we was. It says that his image was marred more than any man. His visible appearance more than sons of man. His visage, meaning your pictures can't do it justice. He says his visible appearance was marred more than any man. His form, the part of him that you look at, more than the sons of men. And you can't paint an accurate description when he descended to the lower bowels of the earth and suffered three damnable days and nights as the chastisement of my lack of peace was laid upon him in a, a form of punishment. I went from seeing Him hanging on the cross as love went its limit for me to His descent into a chamber that was so pitch black that He existed in a state of listlessness and an entity, a consciousness, but so pitch black that He was abandoned entirely alone in a listless state. A conscience existed, but totally abandoned by God, by everything. And here He lay in this state. I've seen Him prostrate, flat on His back, lifting His hands, screaming in agony, crying by reason of his infirmity as worms, nine-inch worms slivered up and down his body to all appearance, crawling in out of his eyes, his ears, his nose, his mouth. Oh, when God got through with me, there is one thing that Roberson understood. Nobody could love me like this Jesus. Nobody. See, no one. And understanding that foundation of love, how head over heels in love with me this Jesus is, began to release me to love. Begin to release me to love. But even then, 
it was the first steps to where he wanted to bring me. Now he, he has given me such an experience that I can only speak from first hand. And I keep and make it reference to where he brought me. And I'm telling you, he's no respecter of persons. And what he does for one, he'll do for another. And I got news for you. You're more than a conqueror because you have been armed by the Prince of Peace with one of the most powerful weapons you could lay your hands on. It's the love of God. And it manifests itself in such aggressive peace. If there ain't anything can stop you. <laughs> now, when he showed me how much my father loves me, when he showed me, I'm thinking, boy, that's good. He's fortifying me with the love of God. This is powerful. He said, I need to walk in the fullness of this. And if I can walk in the fullness of it, I can attain to the very best that God has as a flesh and blood, mortal, air-breathing man, this side of glorification. He said, I could. So I started studying love, you know. And I thought what the love of God was for was some sustaining force that that would help me survive you you know I said this love's all right you know it's a sustaining force that uh that seems to give me the strength to survive my brother <laughs> And some of you that's got that dumb look, you've never been done in. <laughs> but I finally consolidated myself to this fact. As long as we're on planet Earth, we're always going to be in the beginning, in the middle, or the end of a test and trial. <laughs> And sometimes you catch two short breaths in the space between trials and then a new one begins. <laughs> the only way you can escape that phenomena is change planets. So the escape from testings and trials doesn't seem to be did God change in them eradicating them so poor little old you can stand then. God, just please, please change my circumstances. Oh, God. And he says, I would, but you're the circumstance that needs change. <laughs> and that's what I like about prayer. Prayer will change things even if you're the thing that needs change. <laughs> so we go, God, change the circumstances so I can bear it. And the thing He's trying to change is you. It's you. 
So I thought, well, this love of God, you know, this is pretty good. That's where you get the additional strength to keep from going under the third time, you know. Help! Help! And somebody throws you a rope the third time, drags you to shore, and you go, ah, that's the love of God, you know. And sure, it's a sustaining force, but it's more than that. It's aggressive. It's aggressive. I found out that the love of God had more to do with my relationship with God than it does surviving you. It has more to do with my relationship with God. I thought the love of God was some kind of attitude that I was supposed to maintain towards you even if I didn't want to. You know, I don't want to. But uh, I'm a faith man. Oh, I love you. Yeah. Yeah, my inner man's killing you. My spirit arms have got your neck. (laughs) Finally begin to understand that it had more to do with relationship. As a matter of fact, I finally found a measuring stick. If you want to get a measuring stick to stick down in your spirit and pull up and see how many quarts that you're low on love. All we have to go is to the book of John. He says, perfect love casts out fear. For the he that has fear is not made perfect in love. Because fear has torment. And if you take that dipstick and push it down in your spirit and pull it out... And you can measure how much love you're walking in by measuring how free you are from torment and fear. And the whole time I thought it was to to help survive you so I'd have a proper attitude towards you even though I didn't like it when the love of God had everything to do with relationship. It doesn't matter how you treat me. If I'm walking in peace, I'm only going to react one way to you. Not because I'm supposed to, but because of the relationship that He has established in my heart with Him that's given me aggressive, overpowering, dominating peace. And get out of my way. Because <laughs> I'm eventually going to win. <laughs> so it began to happen. I'm feeling I don't have real long to teach. I feel that miracle worker coming. But let me tell you what began to spawn this. Because I'm telling you, by the time these next four services are over, you're going to be able to open your mouth and fasten your teeth 
on a big biteful of the love and the peace of God. And if you want it, you're going to find out how to walk into it on purpose just because you want to. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> on purpose. Just because you want to. But Brother Roberson, yes, you don't know how ugly I am. What do you think the teaching's about? It's how to leave ugly behind. But you don't understand what I have been doing. I don't care. If the next three days your problems are going to have a big teeth, I mean a big teeth print in them. If you want, you can gnaw until you chew it off. But you don't understand. No, you don't understand. You know one reason he said get the beam out of your eye so you can see clearly to get the moat out of your brother's eye? You know why he said that? If you're messed up in the same kind of problems as the people you're trying to help, then you can't see clear to help them. But you get out of those problems, pretty soon things clear up and your spiritual insight and wisdom starts clearing up and the only reason you can step in and help them get the moat out of their eye is because you can see clearly now because you're not involved in the same mess and got the beam out of your eye. Hallelujah. And when I was involved with that fighting stuff a little bit, I couldn't see to get you out of it. But now he brought me out of it into peace. I'm telling you, it's not worth staying in it. <laughs> and he brought me further than I thought. I thought, well, now he just gave me some wonderful messages on the love of God. But he brought me further. And you know what he's doing to me now if I ask him? And I don't ask him very often. And it seems like he's opened up a room, a peace room. That all I have to do is commune and my heart pulls me in there. And by golly, he's there talking to me faster than you can shake a stick. I never knew God talked so much. He said, I've always been talking. You just ain't been hearing. He pulled me into that aggressive room of peace and he's talking my ear off. <laughs> and he's starting to trust me. He used to only trust me with your physical ailments. That ain't knowing much about you. I remember one time when God gave me a vision of this woman's ear and the deteriorating bone in it and all that sort of thing. And the doctor had just given her the same diagnosis. And he did something to her. He's went a little bit further. And I don't ask him, you know, but since he can trust me more with it now. You said, Brother Roberson, do you mean to tell me that uh, the character flaws... And the things wrong with me, the things that I have, I can walk out of them into peace. Yes. And, and if I ask him, he's, he's been opening up things that's been blocking peace. You know, and there's a whole lot of you that the only one that's sitting in that chair is the facade man. He's the one you send to church and prays over meals. Raises his hands and goes, Oh, how I love Jesus. 
And who knows the secrets that the inner man's harboring? <laughs> Hiding them ugly things. The Bible calls them strifes and hatreds. And then when you get into downright old-fashioned lusts, adultery and fornication and people's just sitting there sneaking around living that stuff and then come to church and their old facade man oh how I love Jesus because he first loved me nobody knows and see when you're caught up in a bunch of mess a lot of times God can't help you get motes out of people's eyes because you got beams in yours you're quick to talk about people sell people down the river that stuff doesn't work but boy he gets you to a place where he can trust you he'll use you to help folks you know what I'm talking about and I could ask him and he's just liable to start showing me now don't look down <laughs> <laughs> Don't let your eyes get shifty. It's a dead giveaway. <laughs> Don't worry. He won't show a guy those things that won't help you. That's right. He won't show a guy those things that won't help you. See, but he's, he said, Brother Robertson, you mean I can... Yes, yes, we're going to break it all down. A step at a time. How you can receive the power. Oh, it's an enduring process. But you can receive it to walk out of every damnable thing Jesus said you're free from. And as we said so many times last year, into everything He said you could be. Hallelujah. So let's finish this testimony. Nine years ago, when God pulled my roots up from Medford, Oregon, and He moved our whole base of operation to Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> where preachers rise and fall, where doctrine is set. And here I spent seven years in evangelism up to that point, just running around preaching on that first foundation of love he put me on. Then he says, I want you to resign all new creation ministries. And I had, I don't know, 43 ministries under me, 20-something churches, many of them I had trained. When we had our camp meetings, they were on 14, 1,500 people strong in a town of 40,000. And we had pioneered and built and established. And to my surprise, when I got to Tulsa, he said, resign the whole thing, turn the presidency over to another man. I says, God, what do you want me to do? He said, you are to go as far as you can into me for the sole purpose of pulling out the miraculous. And so here I go to Tulsa and our tape started going out and and all of a sudden, 
we became in demand as a camp meeting speaker and I found myself on the same platform with men and women of God that I'd have paid hundreds of dollars just to hold their sweaty old coats in the back room somewhere to hear the wisdom that comes out of their mouth. And all of a sudden I found myself on the platform with them preaching and teaching. And I don't mind telling you a fella's head can get a little fat over that kind of stuff, you know. And, and I lost all track of time and reality and, and hopped from one camp meeting to another and all the preachers of a certain sect got airplanes. I went and got an airplane. I mean, how could I go have a camp meeting with all these guys and not be able to tie my big old fat twin down next to theirs? <laughs> Should have seen it when we got done at the camp meeting dropping us off at the airplanes. It was ridiculous. They filled the whole airport up. <laughs> the child of God is in town. <laughs> Several of them. <laughs> and oh, I flew from one meeting to the next, saving the world. It was fun. But an old hunger I had in Medford took me over again. And it caught up with me full bore when I was doing Mile High Conference for Wally and Marilyn Hickey. I got to hurting so bad inside I wanted to ball. I finally counseled Marilyn and I says, can you help me? I said, I hurt so bad inside I don't know how to quench it. She said, I can get you an appointment with Dr. Cho. I said, I'll take it. But on the way home in the airplane, God reminded me of the commission when I left Medford, Oregon. And that commission was to go as far as I could into Him for the sole purpose of pulling out the miraculous. So immediately I canceled my meetings. I'd forgot all about the love of God at this point. Immediately I canceled my meetings and went back into fastings and prayer times for God to line me up again. Let me tell you what drove me in. For six years I returned to Mile High Conference. Every year. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. And every year they had a person that signed sign language. Because there were seven or so totally deaf people on the front row. But you have to understand, every year, Wally Hickey traded me off with the top healing evangelists in the world. So each year I had the privilege of standing on the platform with the foremost healing ministries in the world. In that row of death saints survived. They survived all of us and stayed deaf. <laughs> they survived all of us and stayed deaf. When I went into that first seeking time, I was hurt so bad. I said, God, where are we? Where is aggressive faith? Where are the saints that would bombard heaven day and night 
until revival came. What has happened to us? Why have we died in indifference? What has happened? And the Lord told me that day, the first steps to revival is refusing, refusing. I refuse to accept things the way that they are. I refuse. And I'm not going to say it was one seeking time. It was several. We don't have time now. But one of the last ones, one of the last ones, not long ago, my hunger drove me in. My hunger. And and I, I expected maybe Jesus to show up and say, Son, if you'll put your hand out, I'll... I'll put a coal of fire or something in it. And then everybody that you touch, I mean, you will have city-changing anointing on you. But Jesus never came during the fast. So I said, okay, I'll settle for a couple of seven-foot bronze-faced angels. They can come in and just follow me around and manifest themselves to crowds once in a while and run up and lay their big hand on people's faces. And, and we'll do okay. They can tell me things. We'll do all right. No angels came. In fact, near the end of it, the only thing I got, I'd rather had the whirlwind. But I got the still, small voice. And do you know what it said? Break it. What? Break it. The fast? Break it. No, no. Break it. <laughs> that other was unbelief, you know. <laughs> hmm. I said, break it, but I don't feel any different. Break it. And so I did. I went ahead and broke it. Then after a few days, I noticed something that had settled in. Something that had settled in that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And as time went by, I was only able to label it as the most peaceful coexistence with Jesus in fact it became so dominant that I could finally only label it as aggressive peace and after I had a full dose of it the Holy Spirit came back and began to talk to me he said this is it I said sir he said this is what you've been looking for I said, you mean like in the replacement of Jesus and two bronzed-faced angels, seven foot tall? He says, yes, this is the ingredient that you've been looking for. Because he says, son, I want to use you. I want to use everyone. I want every church I've established in the Holy Ghost to cause revival. I want them to tear their cities up, to change government. 
I want them to walk in so much power that it's incredible. That when you do, you're going to attract powers and principalities that are intent on making you understand their stopping power. So what's peace have to do with it? Same thing it had to do with Paul. He said, I sought God three times, please. This thing has brought me to the edge, the bare naked edge of unbearability. I don't know if I can go another inch. And I sought God. And he told me three times when I sought him, Paul, my grace. It's sufficient. Makes you want to understand a little more about grace, doesn't it? If it's that sufficient, please, I'll take five gallons of it. He said, my grace is sufficient. Oh, I love the way Paul finally summed it up. He says, I will rather therefore glory. Now this is after he found the sufficiency of grace. After. Not during. He's writing a testimony. <laughs> he said, I will rather therefore glory in my infirmities because when I am weak then am I strong now what he was saying was this anything that comes along that's supernatural that strips me of my dependency on the flesh simply places it over onto the spirit and what the devil designed as my defeat and to make me weak it made me stronger because it transferred my strength over onto the spirit and I can boldly declare when I am weak stripped of my dependency on the flesh I am strong so Paul cried it out God change my circumstances and God says okay Paul you got it even though you're the circumstance that still needs changed so what's peace have to do with it it has grace to do with it. You hear me? It doesn't matter what the devil does. He can dig a hole a mile deep, dump everything in it that means anything to you, and he still can't manage your life because you're not susceptible to his pressure. And if he can manage you with cares and pressure this week, He's already got next week planned out for you. You're not your own. But he has to survive us this week. Because we're going to put you into next week, not him.
Why do you think that he said? Why do you think that he said? Humble yourself. Become extremely teachable under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you. In due time, cast in the whole of your care over onto him, for he careth for you. He wants to exalt you in due time. What qualifies him to do this? If you cast all of your cares over on him, then it releases him to lavish his care upon you. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking those whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Them two verses go together. He said, cast your care. Why? Because your adversary is on the loose, and he uses your care as a primary catalyst to devour you with. That's why he said, get it over, so he can lavish his care on you. You can resist him steadfast in the faith. And I have found since aggressive peace that the strongest resistant trip that I can lay on the devil is not take the care. I like Lester Summerall, the war horse. He's on the field 50 years, closer to 60 now, 77. He has spanned 60 years of preaching the gospel. He's walking through Tibet on foot when he was 18 years old, preaching off the back of a mule. And now he's 77. Knew Smith's Wigglesworth, prayed with him in the mornings at the beginning of his young ministry. Incredible. And this is what Lester thinks about the devil. One day, somewhere in a land far away, all of a sudden Lester Summerall's bed in the motel room started walking across the room. Do 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 do. No, Lester says, "Drop it!" And it goes clunk. <laughs> And the devil, of course, was fleeing by that time. I understand Lester was in the other room. If the devil knew it was him, he'd have left his bed alone. <laughs> Pretty bold devil to go in a room with Lester. <laughs> Lester screamed out, Come back! Come back, devil! The devil had to come back. I can just see him. My God, somebody deliver me from this man. <laughs> Most people, you know, devil says, I don't want to come out. But with Lester, he says, please, please. <laughs> Lester said, come back. And the devil come back. And Lester said, put the bed back. <laughs> put it back. What are we going to do? We're going to take a step. We're going to take a big bite out of aggressive peace this week. We're going to chomp down heavy. And I don't care what kind of turmoil you're in. I'm telling you, you can walk out of it.
you can walk out of it on purpose <laughs> just because you want to. Yeah.